Well, good morning once again. Uh, again, so delighted that you're here today. And uh, thank you all to the many of you that are watching online this morning as well. Uh, as you know, next Saturday is July the 4th. Uh, that is the day that we celebrate the adoption by the Continental Congress of our Declaration of Independence from Great Britain. Now, here's the question I want to ask you this morning. How many know how many years that has been since that time? Anybody know how many years that's been? Some of you are thinking, well, I don't even know how old I am. I, how do, I'm supposed to know how many years that's been. Uh, well, I did the math, actually. Uh, 244 years. 244 years. Now, here's the big question I want to begin with this morning. Regardless of the color of your skin, when you look around in our country right now, do you like what you see? Do you like what you see? You see, our tendency as Christians is to look around and think to ourselves, well, you know, if those godless people out there would just get their lives right, if they would just repent and if they would turn to God, then this country would be okay again. But going, hello, that's not what I said. See, that's not the right if. It's not if those godless. What does God say? Second Corinthians seven, Second uh, Chronicles seven fourteen. If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. If my people. God said. Well, let's look at this verse in context, and let's see what God does say and, and why he says it. Now, this verse takes place at a juncture in the history of the people of Israel when King David has died. His son Solomon has assumed to the, has, 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 is now ruling over the, over the country. He has secured the kingdom. He has established the kingdom. And his first order of business right after that is to build this magnificent temple for God. And as that's completed, he has a, this amazing dedication ceremony during which he preaches a, a very short sermon and then goes on to pray a very long prayer of dedication. Now, in that prayer, Solomon talks to God about the covenant that his father David had, that God had made with his father David. And as a part of that prayer, he not only talks about that covenant, but he obviously starts to think about and remember the roller coaster ride of relationship that God's people had with their God. The incredible spiritual ups and downs of God's people. And so he begins to plea, if you will, in that prayer. He prays, Lord, when your people sin, and as a result of their sin, you allow them to be taken over by their enemies, but they turn back to you, please forgive them. Please forgive them and give them back their land. Lord, when your people sin and experience terrible drought as a result, but they turn back to you, please hear from heaven and bring rain once again. 
And Lord, when your, <clears throat> when your people sin and, and famine or plague or pestilence comes, but they turn back to you, please hear them and forgive them and restore them. Now, did, did you hear the focus of Solomon's prayer? He recognizes that the real problem is not the enemies, it's not the droughts or the plagues or the bugs. The real problem is God's people. Well, it's eight days later before God answers that prayer. We're told that God appears to Solomon during the night <clears throat> with his answer, beginning in 2 Chronicles, in the, in the second part of verse 12. God says, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a temple for sacrifices. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or command locusts to devour the land, or send a plague among my people, if my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, and I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. If my people, my people, God says. See, that's the big if. Not all those godless people out there, but my people, God's people. In other words, when, we look, when Christians look around the country these days and, and we don't like what we see, the first thing that we should examine is our very own lives, our hearts, our lives. Now, if the whole idea of that kind of rubs you a little bit wrong, kind of gets in your craw a little bit, <laughs> well, that's the very reason that God starts with the first, very first condition that he gives. God said, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves. That word humble literally means, means to bend the knee, to subordinate oneself. Little Johnny came to the dinner table one night and he didn't like what he saw sitting on the plates. And so he, he just kind of stood at his plate in front, of, in front of his chair and his arms crossed and his nose all crinkled up. And, and his dad told him, said, Johnny, Johnny, sit down. Johnny says, No. Johnny, you need to sit down. No. One more time. Johnny, sit down. No. <laughs> at that point, Johnny's dad reached all the way across the table and sort of helped him into his chair. <laughs> and then Johnny said, I may be sitting on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. <laughs> what is the posture of your life and heart toward God this morning? Are you sitting here on the outside, but really standing up on the inside? You know, there's no question about the fact that Jesus is king. Jesus Christ is king. The question is whether he is the Lord of our lives. And I have to confess, if you were to ask me, is Jesus Christ the Lord of your life? If I was going to be straight level, gut level honest with you, I'd have to reply by saying, well, which day are we talking about? <laughs> and what part of that day are we talking about? Everything I read in God's word tells me that he invites us to enjoy our relationship with him. He wants to partner with us in making a difference in this world. 
But we cannot enjoy that relationship and we will not be used by him unless we are willing to humble ourselves. Because what's the opposite of humility? It's pride, right? Absolutely. Pride can essentially turn us into what you might call practical atheists. It's not that we've stopped believing in God. It's not that we've stopped trusting in God, but we just essentially just leave God out of our lives on a day-by-day practical basis. See, too often we prefer to make this little compartment for God over here in our lives. And we just keep him in that compartment. Except for in cases of emergency, you know, then we pull him out, you know, like a pandemic or something like that. On this upcoming holiday, as we celebrate our independence as a nation, why not consider taking a little time to just simply personally declare your dependence upon God in a new and in a fresh way to humble yourself before him. You know, one of the most important ways that we can do that is, is by humbling ourselves before his word, right? Remember what James says, James chapter one and verse 21, the last part says, humbly <clears throat> accept the word that God has planted in your hearts for it has the power to save your souls. You know, I was telling somebody not long ago that one of the few things I missed when we moved to Tulsa from Jackson, Mississippi, were home cooking style buffets. <laughs> I never met a home cooked style buffet that I didn't like. <laughs> Now, every, every now and then, for whatever reason, maybe in, you know, in, in a sort of a token effort to be healthier, you know, they, they would still put something out on those buffets that I really didn't like, something like Brussels sprouts. <laughs> you scratch your head, Brussels sprouts. I mean, those are not even Southern, right? I mean, let me call them Brussels sprouts because they're, they're from Brussels, as in Belgium, and not even Southern Belgium, Okay. <laughs> Yeah, but now when they're cooked certain ways, you know, these days I, I, I like them. But, but back then I, I just did not like them at all. But one of the great advantages of a buffet is what? At least back before coronavirus. <laughs> is that you could pick and choose what you wanted and how much of it you wanted, right? That is exactly how some people approach the Bible. How some people approach the Word of God. Oh, oh, I, I, I really like that right there. I'm not so sure about this part. Oh, man, I, I really like that part right there. Really, really like that part, but no, 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 I can't handle that part. Are you humbling yourselves before the Word of God? You see, that's big-time pride, because what are you doing when you approach the Bible like a buffet? You're saying that you're smarter than God, that you're in essence saying you know better than God. Or it could be that you're simply wanting to pridefully hang on to some sin in your life that you just don't want to let go of. It's just pride, plain and simple. You remember the, the first words out of Jesus' mouth in that famous Sermon on the Mount, or what? Blessed are the poor in spirit, 
the humble. Blessed are those who realize their need for God on a daily basis. To humble ourselves before God, to bend the knee before God is to let God be God and to yield ourselves to him in such a way that we let him have his way in every aspect of our lives. Every aspect. God said, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, You see, humility is our posture of dependence upon God. And prayer is the way that we actively demonstrate that dependence. Ephesians 5.17 says, pray without ceasing. In other words, keep a running conversation with God throughout the day. Prayer is what keeps us God-centered. Again, it's, it's how we declare our dependence upon Him each and every day and each and every moment throughout the day. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, God says. Psalm 105 says, look to the Lord in his strength. Seek his face always. Have you ever played hide and seek with a two, three-year-old? You know, they're just old enough to grasp the basics of how you play. You count to 10 and and, and it's their turn to go hide. You know, what happens? They they go and they hide. And if you take take longer than about a minute or two to find them, what what then happens? I'm in here. I'm in here. You see, the object of that age is not so much to hide as it is to be found. When we talk about seeking the face of God, Please understand that he has absolutely no interest in trying to hide from us. God wants to be found. The question is whether or not we want to really find him. That expression, to seek his face, is one that that refers to an an all-inclusive expression of undivided, single-minded devotion to God. It means that we put him first. We put him before anything else in our lives. We give him our absolute obedience. In other words, what the Bible is saying is that you cannot find God with just a casual or occasional glance in his direction. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 13, the prophet declares, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. It's not a casual glance. It's with all our hearts. Do we really want to find God? But let me also ask you this question. How do you know when you found him? Ever thought about that? How do you know when you find God? I'll never forget one Christmas season. We were doing some Christmas shopping, late Christmas shopping in a very, very crowded mall. Very, very crowded mall. And... um, and I'm standing there wait, waiting, I kind of got separated from the rest of the family, wait, waiting for them to catch up. <clears throat> and all of a sudden, I, I feel this tugging on my pant leg. And I hear this little voice going, Daddy, Daddy. <laughs> so I look down, there, there's this, this little boy about two and a half, three years old, and, and, uh, and, and, and he looks up at me. And when he sees my face, he knows that I'm the wrong daddy. <laughs> Fortunately, his was not too far away. 
How do you know when you found the face of the right daddy, our heavenly father? But when the Bible talks about God turning his face toward his people, it's referring to the intimacy of a right relationship with us. For example, that beautiful benediction that we often use and when we've sung several times recently from Numbers chapter 6, verse 24 to 26. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. You see, to find the face of God is to find a right relationship with him. It's enjoying personal intimacy in that relationship, enjoying his grace, enjoying his favor, enjoying his peace, a confidence in his presence and work in your life. That's when you know you found his face. That's when you know his face is turned towards you. But I need to say this. It's impossible to be seeking God's face while at the same time disregarding the sin in our lives. The psalmist declares those who do what is right in his eyes will see his face. See, that's why God says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. To turn is to what? It's to repent. That's what repentance means. It means to make a turn, to turn away from sin and to turn to God. I'm sure it's not unique to American Christians, but our tendency is to want to enjoy God's favor while enjoying our sin at the same time, right? I mean, we like to deal with our sin in the same way that we deal with our taxes. Find as many loopholes as possible. <laughs> John Orberg shares a letter written by a woman to a Christian counselor in one of his books. In this letter, the lady, the lady writes, she says, A few months ago, I was making several phone calls in the family room where my three-year-old daughter, Adrian, and my five-month-old son, Nathan, were playing quietly. Nathan loves Adrian, who has been learning how to mother him gently since the time of his birth. I suddenly realized the children were no longer in view. Panic-stricken, I quickly hung up the phone and went looking for the pieces. Down the hall and around the corner, I found the children playing cheerfully in Adrian's bedroom. Relieved and upset, I shouted, Adrian, you know you're not allowed to carry Nathan. He's too little and you could hurt him if he fell. Startled, she answered, I didn't, Mommy. Knowing he couldn't crawl, I suspiciously demanded, well, then how did he get all the way into your room? Confident of my approval for her obedience, she said with a smile, I rolled him. (laughs) That's exactly what we do, don't we? What do you mean, I didn't disobey? I rolled him. I rolled him. I found a loophole. See, bottom line, you have to decide. Are you going to look for loopholes or are you going to look for the Lord? You cannot find his face 
You cannot experience, much less enjoy, intimacy of a personal relationship with God when there is a bunch of sin clogging up the works. The prophet Hosea, chapter 10, writes, Plow up the hard ground of your hearts, for now is the time to seek the Lord. When I used to play my guitar all the time, because of the constant contact of the strings with my fingertips, my fingertips developed these really, really hard calluses. I mean, so hard you couldn't even stick a pin through them. I actually tried it a couple of times, okay? So, so very hard. Constant contact with sin in our lives creates calluses not on our fingertips, but calluses over our hearts. Our hearts become just as as the prophet Hosea described. Our hearts become like sun-dried, hardened, unplowed ground. Plowing up that hard ground in our hearts begins with confession. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Confession, repentance, Again, making that decisive turn away from sin in our lives and turning to God instead. Well, that takes us back to where I started. You see, the biggest need in our nation is not for all those godless people out there to get right. The biggest need in our nation right now is with God's people. God's people. Once again, his promise, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. See, revival in our nation does not begin with those people out there. It begins with us in here. Let's pray. Lord, It is our prayer this morning that you would let revival begin with us. Father, knowing that it cannot begin unless we as your people are truly willing to humble ourselves and pray and seek your face and to turn from our wicked ways. Lord, let let us spend some special time over these next few days truly examining our own hearts and lives and with true spiritual courage being willing to truly identify exactly where we are in our relationship with you. 
Lord, revive us again. And let it begin with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.